Hi, this is Tony Lloyd. Interviewing people for many years has made me realise that everyone has a life story to tell. Be they sad, amazing or even inspirational, I want to bring as many human stories to you as I can in this series of podcasts. Human Stories with Tony Lloyd. Danny Clark, welcome to Human Stories. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tony. There's so much to you, I don't really know where to start. <laughs> but, okay. But what I want to do is start at the beginning and find out a little bit about uh, your past, um, where it all started for you in the gardening world particularly, um, and you know what you did at school and college if you went, and and so on and so forth. How, mm. how did your interest in gardening and plants and trees uh, start? I think, um, like with most gardeners, stroke garden designers, um, it kind of started in my childhood. So that was my early influence. Yeah. And, you know, my childhood was very transient. Travelled around because my dad was in the army and lived in lots and lots of uh, countries. I mean, I think I went to something like 11 secondary schools. Wow in my childhood, mm. never in one place for very long, um, sometimes as short as two or three months. Maybe the longest stint we had, I think, was probably Belgium, which is five years. But the average would be two, two and a half years in one place before up in sticks and then moving on again. Mm. Um, and I have always been an outdoorsy person. Um and I can remember when we were in Belgium, I think I was only about five. And uh, I remember going outside with a football and just kicking it up in the air. And when it came down again, I kind of trapped it. It was a complete fluke, but I trapped the ball. And it made me feel good. And that sort of ignited my interest in football. Because then I was outside kicking the ball around, mm. practicing, that kind of thing. And obviously, when you're playing an outdoorsy sport, you're close to nature. As you're running on grass, for example, yep. you kick the ball and it goes in the bushes, so you have to go and get it. I remember my dad saying to me, um, if you find a four-leaf clover, it'll give you luck. And I remember trying to find one. I'm still looking for that one, incidentally. <laughs> yes. uh, I haven't come across it. So if you come across one, let me know. I will. I'll, I'll post it to you. Uh, yeah, send it, send it to me. Okay. I'll, I'll give you a few bob for it. Thanks. So, uh, do they actually so, exist? You'll be right. <laughs> so, do do they, they, do they, they do. They do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting because someone actually overheard me talking, uh, telling you, uh, telling you the story. Yep. The story I'm giving you. Someone actually overheard me yeah. when I was in the foyer of a hotel. Okay. Um, before a lovely garden shoot. So the evening before, I was telling someone, and somebody on a table behind me overheard me. She tapped me on the shoulder and she gave me a four-leaf clover. Good grief. Can you believe that? Yeah, she gave me a four-leaf clover in a small cellophane packet. And did that have any effect on your life? What, the four-leaf clover? <laughs> yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm still waiting for its magical qualities to work. <laughs> maybe it'll come into play one day when you need it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That's a, one great, day. that's a great story. Okay. Um, apparently you've been so really um you, you've you've started designing other people's gardens eventually how did that come about well it was a life change for me so um after i left school i had a really boring job working as a because i mean academically i wasn't that great but 
very good at sport and quite popular at school because of it. But um, when I left school, I wasn't, I could, I did, I did have qualifications, but they weren't enough to get me anywhere, really. Mm. A few GCSEs and um, CSE grade ones, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I ended up working as a filing clerk for a shipping company. Um, and then I got into sales. And the reason I got into sales because I wanted a company car because I didn't have a motor at the time. Okay. Not because I particularly thought I'd be any good at it. <laughs> but I remained I remained in that occupation for many years, eventually having my own business. And when I, the properties I owned, um, obviously you have to tidy up the gardens. And I quite enjoyed it. I've, I've, it became a hobby. Um, I got, got great therapy from it. And I wanted to have, I remember in one of the homes I owned, I wanted to have the nicest lawn. I got really fixated on lawns for some reason. Mm. I think I must have been at a cricket match or whatever and See. noticed how short and green the grass was. And yeah. I wanted to emulate that in my back garden. Yeah. And it became an obsession. And I was literally cutting the grass twice a day <laughs> and, you know, washing it and feeding it. I'll be out at midnight sort of poking, aerating it, poking holes in the lawn. Um, it's it, a lot of work, yeah. isn't it, to get a nice well, lawn? Yeah. And then, then I thought, one day I thought, no, get a life. And uh, I relaxed a bit. But that kind of ignited my passion for gardening. Mm. And in the early 90s, um, a business I was a director of was struggling um, and I wasn't able to pay myself much money out of it. My partner and I weren't able to pay ourselves much money out of it. And I just got a phone call out of a, the blue from a lady who had heard that I enjoyed gardening, Joe Bryant. And she wondered if I was interested in coming along and working for her. So when I met her, it was a no-brainer. Uh, because she was just one of these larger-in-life characters, what she didn't know about gardening, put on the back of a poster stamp. And her kind of thought process kind of influenced the way I think today. Right. Um, so what I did, I worked for her one day a week, but carried on with my business. But then while I was working for Joe, people then approached me and said, could you come and maintain my garden or our gardens? Yeah. And then I got to this tipping point, which way, because I couldn't do the two together, mm. I'd be in sales and garden. And for me, it had to be horticulture. So I took that route. Okay. So really that's how I got into it. But the way Joe influenced me was, um, and I'm sure it wasn't for I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now, is if I arrived at her garden and it was pouring down rain, like it's outside today and it's really windy and cold, and she could tell by the expression on my face, all I wanted her to say is, Danny, just turn around, go home, come back when the sun's shining. <laughs> um, there'd be grey clouds and it would just be awful. Um, but she was one of these all-weather purse people. I mean, she had an all-year-round suntan because um, she was always out in the garden. She had a real passion for it. I mean, she had the most beautiful garden you could ever wish to see. I mean, but the house was falling down. I mean, it's a big house, but it's falling down because she wasn't interested in maintaining that. Mm. She was more interested in the outside space. Yeah. And she would just say to me, she would turn the whole thing on its head and look at my miserable face, yeah, feeling sorry for myself because I didn't want to be there. And she would say, Daddy, look at the sky. Isn't it a wonderful grey? It doesn't the wind feel quite great on your face. Um, doesn't, you know, 
is, isn't it? Uh, what, what she was doing was turning on his head and changing yeah. my mindset in a very subtle way. Yeah. And, and, and she was saying there's a beauty in everything if you wish to find it. Yeah. And, you know, and I think, yeah, she's absolutely right. Yeah. And um, I would just get on with my day and, uh, yeah. Do, do the work. I love, you know, I love walking about in the rain and, and stuff like that. Yeah. It just feels good. Yeah, and I and I do now. I didn't then, but I do now yeah. because of the way, you know, it doesn't have to be a beautiful day when the sun's shining and you see beautiful skies. Mm. It's pouring down rain outside today. It's grey skies, but it's beautiful. It's dramatic. It's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And that's, that's the way, you know, because of her, I, I view the world through that prism so how uh, did you get involved with uh, television then because you um you're on filthy garden sos on channel five um mm. you're with alan titchmarsh on lovely garden mm. and uh, probably other things that i've missed as well how did the tv career blossom for you to use right, a, <laughs> a flowery term <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I'll get, I'll, I'll get down into the weeds for you. How's that? You <laughs> yeah. use another term. Um, <laughs> um, it, it actually started because of my USB, the Black Gardener. Right. And I just got this random email from a production company called 12 Yard, a part of ITV. I thought it was a wind-up. I nearly deleted it. Asking to be interested in a screen test for a gardening series that's already been commissioned but they needed a presenter for it and it turned out that they were looking for a black presenter okay and how they found me was someone google black gardeners and my website came up <laughs> and that's how i got the gig because your website is the black yeah they were looking for a black guy and they or woman, yeah. And they Google black gardeners, and my website popped up, and then that's how they got in touch with me. That's awesome. And obviously, you passed the screen test, and they're happy with you, and uh, the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. And I did the Instant Gardener, two series of Instant Gardener for the BBC, yeah, uh, about seven years ago. So everything's emanated from that, really, and yeah. uh, to the point where I'm at, I'm at Buckingham Palace the <laughs> night before. Yes, he so, said uh, you were at Buckingham how, Palace. How, how cool is that? Are you going to advise the, the uh, ground staff at Buckingham Palace about uh, looking after the grounds in, in Buckingham Palace? I don't think so. I think they'd be advising me. I think they've got far more wisdom and knowledge than I'll ever have. <laughs> Honestly, the guy that um, I met last night, um, the, the, the head gardener, I met the head gardener. I mean, his knowledge is um, immeasurable. Um, you know, just... just uh, he, he, what, what the knowledge he, he has on gardening, you can literally, um, what he doesn't know, you can put on the back of a poster stamp. Mm. Honestly, he, he just, he seemed amazing. It's a, a big so, project um, to look after, isn't it? But yeah, I've been there and, um, there's a lot of history there because at, uh, at one end, at the, at the end of the garden, there's these trees which are planted four people and they've got little plaques on them i think if i remember yeah. rightly and obviously they have the garden parties there which is why i was there and so it's got to be able to cope with thousands of people um yeah. through the summer and stuff like that when when that's allowed um uh, and so on you know so it's, it must be a difficult balance to look after that sort of garden that's a, sort of a semi-public garden 
I would think so. I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go in the garden. I thought I, I was there on that premise. So when they asked me to be on the show, um, I was told that um, I'd get a trip around the garden, um, uh, a garden tour yeah. with the head gardener. But uh, it, we, I didn't get there till half five minutes dark, so oh. um, it's too late for that. But I did get to meet him all the same. Maybe they'll invite we, you back one that, day. That, 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 that that was a real privilege and, and it was a real privilege and honor to be in the palace because i've never been there before and it was just i mean the building and the interior is just absolutely awesome yeah absolutely were you there i'm guessing because you've just been appointed an official ambassador for the queen's green canopy yes i have so it was that i was there on their behalf yeah i see so, so i was promoting it Tell me, night. tell me about that. On, tell on, me about that organisation. What's, what do they do? Well, basically, I was there. I've only just become an ambassador just in the last few days through the Woodland Trust, which I'm also an ambassador of. And the reason I was there was because the Queen's Green Canopy is tasked with encouraging people to plant trees um, because it's the Queen's Platinum Jubilee this year. Yeah. And she loves trees. Yeah. So the idea is to get as many trees in the ground leading up to the Jubilee weekend in June. Ah. And basically, I was just giving people, encouraging more people to get involved, because they've got events going on at the moment, but I was encouraging more people to get involved, mm. because the optimum time for planting trees is between October and March. Okay. And we're getting to that tipping point. We've only got five weeks to go before we need to have a break before it goes on again mm. in October. Yeah. So I was really there on that, you know, in that capacity. Okay. What sort of trees should people plant? Well, anything, but preferably native trees, hawthorn, silver birch, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, rather than trees that come from other climes, because the wildlife in this country is more suited to it. I see. So that's, that's probably a, the be- I mean, they, they're suited to, you know, trees and shrubs that come from abroad. Yeah. But because it's native, yeah. it kind of um, suits our environment yeah. a lot more. I understand so they've got more get- chance of success. And they've got more chance of success, absolutely. Mm. Mm. And why is it so important to plant trees? Ah, uh, because oh, they, trees, are our life force. Um, apart from giving us shelter and um from the weather from from the sun and the wind they emit oxygen and if we don't have oxygen we don't live we can't exist Mm. the other thing they do is any carbon that escapes from the soil which goes into the atmosphere which damages the ozone there will theoretically without trees stay up there they actually bring it down again through the leaves, into the bark, into the roots, and lock it back into the soil, where it can stay for another three or four hundred years. So that's why they're important. They're and pretty... we should be planted that. I've gone on a bit of a spiel now. No, that's great. <laughs> I, I, I needed to know. I knew they were important, um, but, I, but yeah. you've explained it much better than I could. That's that's brilliant. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's why they're and, so important. And, 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 I, and I don't really understand why, as human beings, we're so... We're cutting them down at such a rate mm. when all a tree wants to do is be our friend. Mm. Yeah, know. we're chopping them down. Yeah, and it's it's crazy. It's bonkers. 
Um, and we really need to get a grip very quickly because um, climate change is a big issue. And if we're not careful, we'll get to a point where there's we're not going back. Yeah, that would be sad. Um, well, it would be sad, yeah. yeah. So, so really, but planting trees, it's, it's about legacy. So it's not just for us. It's for our children, our grandchildren, mm-hmm. and so on. It's for them. Yeah. So we've got to think on into the future and not think about, you know, our imminent sort of selfish needs, if you like. Yeah, understood. Now, what about people's uh, private gardens again? Um, you know, most some people are good gardeners, some people aren't. Some people have got gardens, some people haven't. Uh, some people have got vegetable patches uh, and so on. What's uh, advice? Just uh, There must be a ton of advice, but just general advice to people listening to this podcast episode um, with a garden. What I, what I say about gardens, a lot of people, use, you're right, don't like gardening. Um, they see it as a chore. But, and I would say that most gardeners, when they start, probably see it as a chore. But when they're out there and they just do a little bit, before, and, and, and they see all the benefits, they feel the benefits from being in an outside space, they find over a short period of time they become addicted. And it's a space that they want to be in. I mean, it's good for the mind, soul, and body mm-hmm. because it's physical activity, mm-hmm. which is good. Yeah. Um, it's good for the mind because you're close to nature and the physical activity releases chemicals into your brain, which make you feel good. So it just works on so many different levels. Also, it, it can connect you with people, mm-hmm. you know, being out in the garden, your neighbors out in the garden and, you know, you talk yeah. over the garden fence, that kind of stuff. Mm. So um, for me, the best advice I could give is just get out there. Just make the start, get out there. And before you know it, you could well be hooked. Yeah. And you'll see it as a great place to be. And because of the pandemic and lockdown and everything, a lot of people are seeing their spaces in a different light as well because they were forced to go out and, you know, be in their, <laughs> in their plots. Yeah. Well, many people were, not everybody, because a lot of people do enjoy being out there anyway, but some people were in- forced to be out there. Yeah. And um, they realise now they think about their plots, gardens differently. They see it as an extension of their homes yep. um another room if you like because you think about a square meterage outside that can be greater than the amount of space you've actually got indoors yeah so why not make the most of it yeah and make it into a workable living space that yep. can be enjoyed yeah good advice that's fantastic how about people who haven't got gardens and they maybe live in a block of flats or something um how- you, if you've got a balcony you can always have a pot you know, um, there's such a thing as vertical gardening. You can adorn the walls with plants. Um, if you haven't got a balcony, you can always have indoor plants. Yeah. So there's, or, or if you don't want to do that, there's always parks. Yeah. Which can give you, you know, walking. Walking's good for you. Um, you know, there's, I mean, where I live, for example, I'm, I'm surrounded by lovely parks, which I discovered during the pandemic because I was going on lots of walks. Tell me about wildflowers and wild patches in the garden. I, I'm I'm all for letting your garden go a little bit wild because I tend to think about wildlife first when building a garden. Okay. So I'm into if if you can. I know I know people's views of gardens aesthetically is that you should have you know a lawn that's well trimmed, um, devoid of weeds, beds devoid of weeds, and everything in its place. I would make a suggestion, 
if makes part of your garden a bit wild because the wildlife will love you for it. Um, one of the things people do, for example, is that they will trim their lawn to within an inch of its life and get rid of the clover. Bees love clover. Ah. Bees love it. So don't don't be um, too bothered about it. Just view your garden as a place of whether it's a bit wild or in your eyes neat view the whole thing as aesthetically pleasing we've just got to change people's mindsets on it a little bit and i think we can i suppose there may be some people who think okay i'll just let the whole garden go wild and then i haven't got to touch it <laughs> that's a sort of a lazy uh, attitude but you could have a lazy attitude about it but you know um what's wrong with having a wild garden yeah Absolutely, and you some know, of the flowers and a, weeds come just, up are beautiful, aren't they? Some of the flowers. Yeah, there's, there's some beautiful weeds. Um, you know, what is what is good design? What what looks beautiful is all in the eyes of the beholder. One man's mm. meat is another man's poison, and all that. And I can make a garden that looks wild, aesthetically pleasing. Mm. You know, you can do. You can run a few. You can let your grass grow and run a few paths, few paths through it. Yeah, I understand. And a couple of seating areas you know, and have an arbour, like a living arbour. Yeah. You could have a pond, and the wildlife will definitely thank you for a pond. I mm. mean, if you want to introduce them into your garden, you must have a pond. Yeah. Because they attract birds, frogs, um, crane, you know, um, um, hoverflies, yeah. all kinds of manner of uh, creatures. Um, so, yeah, uh, you can have a nice plot, even if it's a bit wild. And I think um, people's thinking is gradually changing, thank goodness, mm. because when you see show gardens at Chelsea or Hampton Court, for example, a lot of designers are building gardens with uh, creatures in mind. Yeah, that's good. Especially bees. We need bees. You know, bees are getting um, a lot of publicity because they're so important, aren't they, at the moment? They are, well, they're our main pollinators, mm. and uh, we are losing them by the thousands, by the millions at the moment. So we need to be encouraging as many of those into our gardens as possible. If you think about it, if you joined all the gardens that we have, we join them all up, that is one expanse of po uh, potential wildlife haven. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a huge expense. So we really need to be viewing our wild, our gardens through that kind of prism. Good advice. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, thank you so much for talking to me on Human Stories. You've been so inspirational. People will definitely take your advice. I'm, I'm quite sure about that. It's been brilliant to yeah. talk to you. Uh, one, yeah, one, likewise. Last, thank you. one last question. Who's the little dog on your website and the photos? There's a little dog on your website. <laughs> you, you, you're with a little dog on a couple of occasions. Is it your dog? Yeah, it's not my dog, no. Uh, no. <laughs> I can't remember his name. It's, it looks he, like a Jack Russell. Yeah, yeah, he's a prop. Right. Um, I do love animals, by the way. So, um, yeah. Yeah, um, but I can't have an animal here because I live in a flat. Right, yeah. Um, it would be unfair on, unfair on the dog. Sure. I can't remember his name, actually. Doesn't the matter. But, <laughs> Doesn't but, matter. Yeah, he, he, well, the, the, I mean, uh, you probably see a few dogs in a lot of my a lot of pictures. Sometimes they're clients' dogs. 
Yeah. That I just happened to be petting at the time, you yeah, know. And, uh, come and say hello. And, I, and, and, it's, and it's a photo opportunity. And, <laughs> you know, often the, the, the dog, well, it, well, I say 99.9% of the cases, I get usurped by the animal. <laughs> Look at the, the animals need the, the, to have a selfie with Danny Clark. That's no, the, it's the other way around. Danny, thank you so much again for talking to me on Human Stories. You've been brilliant. Thank you're you. Most, you're most welcome. Thank you very much. All the best. Human Stories is a free podcast with no fees paid to contributors in the hope that they'll inspire or help others. Get in touch if you have a story to tell. If you or your organisation would like a professional podcast series to reach your own audience, or if you'd like training so you can do it yourself, I can help. Go to TonyLloydRadio.com Human Stories with Tony Lloyd.